All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Tales from the CSAT Floor. My name is Sabrina Lott. I'm based out of Raleigh, North Carolina. And today we have a special guest with us today, Chadney Penchel, and she's going to be speaking to us about mental health and how that plays into a work-life balance. How are you doing today? Hi, Sabrina. I'm doing really well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm very excited to speak to you all and, and to our listeners about mental health today. Fabulous. So why don't you just go ahead and introduce yourself to our listeners, who you are, what are you all about, what do you do here at Cisco? My name's Chandni Pancha. I work in Cisco UK Island in a team called the Developer Advocacy Team. We focus on all things programmability, which I find super cool. We're talking automation, uh, integrations, and really advancing and pushing the barriers of technology in the industry. I came into this role through the Cisco Graduate Program. I did my A-levels in the UK, and then went on to study a maths and computer science degree, and then onto the grad scheme at Cisco. Now I'm in this role here. That's fabulous. I think the first question that I'm gonna have with you is just more on a personal level and less on a professional level. What does mental health mean to you? What does it look like? Why is it important? All that stuff. That's a really good question. It's a question that we should really be making ourselves think about. To me personally, well, if you look at, for example, physical health, it's something that I think people are slightly more comfortable understanding and talking about as opposed to mental. But there are a lot of similar elements within the two. The first thing that I would say is balance. Balancing your work with your family, with what you'd like to aspire to achieve, with your own personal health, with your friendships, with all aspects that you would say you're made of. Something that really helped me understand this as a part of mental health is I was very lucky about a year ago to have a coach who wanted me to reflect and he wanted me to reflect on where I feel I'm happy or comfortable and where I feel I'm not and he had this circular diagram that had been spread out into different segments a bit like a pie chart with equal parts and each part of that circle you'd have to label it with something that was important to you so it could be how happy am I at work or am I earning the salary I'd like to right now how are my relationships with my family how are my relationships with friends etc so you go around and you fill it out with whatever you think is important to you And then you colour up that segment, how well you think you're doing in that area. And then you just zoom out and you look at that circle as a whole. Where is there less colour? Where do you need to focus on a bit more? And where is there more colour and you feel quite satisfied? And I think that as a whole, that picture of balancing each of those different segments is what good mental health means to me. Not having work as your only aspiration in time, uh, everything that makes up your life or not having just one thing, unless that's exactly what you want it to be. But there's a couple of other things I would say fall into mental health. So for example, awareness, you might also have seen there's a lot of awareness being made about after this pandemic began. Because when you're stuck at home, wherever it is that you might be, a college campus, a university campus, and you're not allowed to leave, you start to realise the small things you might have taken for granted that contributed to your happiness So having this huge push and awareness in mental health is something else that I would tie together. And finally, I'd say it's support. If you have a headache for a long amount of time, 
it would be a no-brainer to call your doctor up and say, hey, something doesn't feel right. I've had a headache for a really long time. But I feel that it's not the same with mental health everywhere. I think there are regions and areas where sometimes people feel that having a mental health concern is not voiced as easily as a physical health concern might be. So for me, mental health is about awareness, so talking about it, so making sure people feel comfortable to seek support because it's talked about a bit more and it's it's less taboo. Yeah, the, the support pillar that you brought up, um, say about how physical health is so well-treated and there's really not a huge stigma to it, meaning, like you just said, if someone, say, had a headache or was having some kind of chronic issue, it'd be something that you can bring up to a doctor and it's well-known. Why do you think that there are more barriers in terms of mental health? Why do you think that there's more of a stigma behind that? I think that's a really big question. I think one of the things that can really stand in the way, at least in my personal experience, is culture. I know, so for a fact, I'm an Indian, um, and I know from Indian culture that mental health is still a taboo topic. It's not something that people understand as well as they might do in other cultures. It's not something that people may take as seriously. In fact, in certain cultures, I understand that it's actually, there's a huge stigma to the extent where people are treated differently if they admit to experiencing some sort of mental health issue. But the statistics, I think, speak for themselves. I think it's something like one in three or one in four people will experience some form of mental health challenges in their lifetime. So it's the majority of people, if you think about being in a classroom in school, that's 25% of the class will experience something similar to what you might do. But I think culture is a huge part of that. And I think you need to take that into consideration when you're looking at initiatives to boost awareness, like we talked about earlier, or to reduce that barrier to talking about it more. And I think, personally for me, this whole rise of social media falls into that really well, because now you can really use that platform if you are an influencer to normalise these kinds of discussions, to make people feel like it's not as taboo as it may have been once before. Um, It is something that should be taken as seriously as someone with a physical injury, just because you can't see the the injury itself or the, the sore that someone may be feeling doesn't make it any less real. And I think that's something that, I think social media is helping to overcome that barrier why there are still barriers, I couldn't tell you in, in a short answer this way. I, I personally don't know myself, but I have seen that for me, for example, culture plays a huge part of it. And we need to make sure we're educating the right communities to feel like they can ask for support if they need it and then pass that knowledge on in their generations too. Going to social media, social media has been playing a, a positive influence. But I also think that especially influencers, they are normalizing a lot of it. And I I saw a meme and it was saying the boomers generation is like, oh, she's going to therapy and it's hush hush. And then the Gen Z generation is like, let me tell you, my therapist said this, like it's so much more open and that's great. But a lot of the pressure and the issues that we're feeling is that divide of Gen Z children and their boomer parents. And so the Gen Zs may be feeling like they can communicate more with them with each other, but if they try to bring it mm-hmm. up to someone who maybe has a more authoritative figure in their lives, there is a lot more stigma and there is that issue. And then like you said earlier, I think that it's because you can't physically see it, it's harder to talk about. 
because you really have to dig deeper and have difficult conversations versus, oh, I sprained my ankle running. That's a lot easier to talk about than I'm feeling upset because of X, Y, Z, and it's stuff that's personal that you may be feeling embarrassed about. Interrupting this episode with a special announcement. Today's word is possible. Now, back to Sabrina. Just to double click a little bit on what you were saying about support programs and things like that, what do you think Cisco's approach is to mental health and the culture behind that? Do you have an opinion about that? I think Cisco has a very positive impact in terms of mental health. So I've been at the company for around two and a half years now. In that time, I expressed my strong feelings for advocating for mental health discussions and support. And I found that there was a way to become a mental health first aider. So I enrolled in the course. It's free of charge for Cisco employees to go and have that two day training session. And they cover all kinds of topics that you might feel are quite difficult conversations to have. And it's all there to make you feel a bit more comfortable with huge amounts of resources. And that really made me feel more comfortable in how to support other people should it ever come to having a discussion like that with one of my colleagues at work and that really put my mind at ease because I was exposed to this whole community of support that I could leverage if I needed it but also I had been through some Mm -hmm. of the training myself to see how I could better support other people and just boost that confidence and I think doing things like that will make the company culture so much better so for example if I feel this confidence and I see someone at work who might be going through something tough I'd feel much less hesitant to go up to them and say hey are you okay shall we talk whereas someone who might not have had some training along that lines and doesn't feel as comfortable might not make the same move which is completely understandable there's this fear of potentially making a situation worse So from the training side of things, I think that's fantastic. And I'm really proud to be a mental health first aider. But there's also a huge amount of resources for yourself and for your families as a Cisco employee that you can leverage. So the employee assistance program, there's a phone number you can use. Just call them up, speak completely confidentially uh, without anyone else, including your line managers or colleagues, knowing anything about it. And it's a safe space created for Cisco employees. So often for me in some things like the sales all hands, the community all hands that we have every month and really amplifying that message across through these events that are led by the CEO really shows how much emphasis Cisco is putting behind this messaging because it's coming from people who are higher up in the company. So it's showing its importance and and the value we place on it. So I, I couldn't say anything that wasn't positive about Cisco's impact on mental health. When you describe this mental health first aider program, that honestly made me feel like Cisco really is investing versus saying, oh, you can call just simply call this hotline and kind of pushing it off to that. They, they're digging deeper and engaging, which is very, very encouraging. When you say mental health first aider, I'm a first aid and CPR instructor. I still have the cert. Um, and a wow. lot of the conversations that we would be having about why people were signing up for these positions is because... It was either new parents and they had a baby and they're like, what if my baby starts choking? How do I do this? Or that they just felt like they wanted to be more prepared so that if they came into a situation, they would know what to do. And so when you say that about like being a mental health first aider, I'm imagining exactly that of there's an issue. But if someone is trained in CPR and first aid or trained in mental health awareness, for me, at least, I would 
almost be a little bit excited and happy to be able to utilize these skills that I learned to be able to benefit and help someone else. There should not be a stigma between physical and mental health, just like physical first aid training versus mental first aid training. Um, so that's really inspiring that yeah. A, that you're able to be a first aider, but also B, that Cisco helps support that kind of program. Um, is there anything in particular that you wish that Cisco did a better job of in terms of mental health or something that you think that they should explore a little bit more? For me personally, I feel something along the lines of mental health training should be compulsory. Having conversations can really not only impact the productivity side of things at work to help Cisco themselves have a more uh, efficient and happy workforce, but also you can have some really important conversations without realizing that you're having them. And a lot of what stops people from what I've heard and had discussions with, with others is that people are fearful of saying the wrong mm -hmm. thing and that puts them off from saying anything at all. So I think having this sort of training, whether it's something through the line manager, so managers know how to confidently help any of their direct reports if a conversation arises, because I guess an employee would most likely speak to their manager about something mm -hmm. that's disturbing their work, whether it's physically related or mental health related. So something through the, the managers, but also for individual contributors as well, I think we all have just as much influence and sometimes people might want to lean on their colleagues and friends at work first before going to a manager. And I think if you have had that training, it can really help just to have sensitive conversations and to direct people to the right resources. It's not just about how to handle the conversation. It's also what's the best next steps in this situation here. Do we point them towards another person. If we do, how do we do that? What are the different options that are available to you? Should we sit down and think about them? And having that knowledge that this is what's available is just as important as asking if you're okay, because that way you're, you're providing them with some sort of doors that are now open for them they might not have known about before. Yeah. And I think that also just plays into like on a professional level, just team dynamics as well. It's if you feel closer and feel like you can really trust your manager, that goes directly into how you perform into your job as well. I th um, think as well, just to add on to that a little bit, is when I was actually in the Cisco graduate program, the, we call it the CSAT program, the transition for me from school and university to into work was, I would say, challenging to some extent because there was a change of expectations and a change of rules. In university, if you're asked to do something, it's usually because it directly relates to your final grade and it's compulsory. You don't get the option to say, no, I don't feel like doing that or no, I don't have the capacity. Within Cisco, I think it's a very different ball game indeed. And learning how you can and should navigate that, you wouldn't know that unless someone spoke to you about it. Someone with experience could say, actually, you are allowed to say, no, you're at work now and not at school. You are allowed to say, you know, this. I've got too much on my plate right now. Could we maybe direct this to someone else and I support? Or maybe could we do this in a different timeline? Does it have to be done as it overlaps with all these other things I've got going on? So there are options. And I think this whole education side of things would help maybe overcome some of those barriers for people who are early in career. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I've never thought about it like that, that we've always been told you need to do this. And the answer has always been, okay, yes. So I think that's a great call out of saying, you are able to pump the brakes in a professional environment. You do have more jurisdiction about what you can and what you can't take on. And 
I don't think that that's talked about enough. Thank you for sharing that. That's so important. It's okay. Going off of that, what do you think are some other methods or techniques to be able to either set up those boundaries, being able to check in with yourself? I know that you used that pie chart before, but what have you been doing to kind of cope with this during lockdown, during, you know, being early in career? I would say that reflecting is really important to really taking out some dedicated time to focus on asking yourself those insightful questions like you mentioned earlier and trying to better understand what drives you, what are the kind of tasks that you really put on hold or delay or procrastinate on because they're clearly things that don't energize you. And what are the things that do kind of make you feel like, yes, I want to get up and get this done. Like I'd happily do this job first. I think if you sit down and have that real honest conversation with yourself first, it will in itself open up your next steps. Mm -hmm. So for me, for example, this whole boundary setting conversation started with me being massively overwhelmed in my first year of work where I wasn't saying no because I didn't realize that I could. And it took me a long time to realize that I was doing all this work because I was asked to. And to some extent, I really enjoyed the tasks I was being given. And that's what kept leading me to say, yes, yes, yes. Sure, add that to my list. Mm. But when I spoke to my mentor at the time and I said, how do you cope with all of this? I'm starting to get quite overwhelmed. I don't get much time to sleep. I don't get much time to eat. I'm in the office very early in the morning and late at night. She had a really honest conversation with me and said, you know what, you need to start setting up boundaries because no one else is going to do this for you. It's your own responsibility to say, this is what's important to me. I want to do well at work and I want to be able to work on the projects that energize me. But I also want to be able to sleep X amount of hours at night. I want to be able to have my breakfast and my lunch with enough time so I'm not rushing or working while I'm eating or whatever else is important to you. You need to sit down and find these things out about yourself and then put in some sort of either routine or schedule to make sure you're able to do them in the end of the day if you're falling back in other parts of your life because of one thing taking over and you're not setting that boundary up to protect yourself it will all come crashing down at one point and it won't be fun and it won't be easy for you to then pick yourself up and carry on Mm -hmm. if you can learn how you operate better and set up those boundaries I think it's more beneficial to go that way around than the other. Yeah, I think that that is so important. And if I could summarize what you're saying, um, would be that just like you set goals and set a to-do list in your professional life, it's important to make your personal life goals and to-do lists just as important, making them more of a priority and realizing and checking in with yourself to see what those things are in the first place is pretty crucial to that. Yes, absolutely. And one of the things that I actually saw that I found really helpful when I tried, I started this about uh, the start of the pandemic last year, was bullet journaling. It wasn't something I'd tried before, but I am absolutely hooked onto it now. So you can really easily track these habits and these boundaries that you're trying to set. And I'm a visual learner, so I have like colors and charts and graphs and all that kind of thing where if I open the book, I can see very clearly whether I'm on track or not. And if you can implement some sort of fun way of making that happen, whether it's through short term rewards for doing what it is you're trying to work towards. So, for example, each time you say no when you're quite overwhelmed or each time you uh, communicate openly with your manager about how you feel with your work, 
you can give yourself something that makes yourself feel good and want to do that again. It could be all kinds of things. For me, I'm very food orientated. That's what it tends to be. But it can be whatever it is that you feel drives you. And bullet journal, if you've not looked into it, I strongly recommend it. Yeah, I think that's a great idea of bullet journaling, A, to visualize, but then also giving yourself a reward for taking time for yourself is super important. I think it's a great way. I love that. We are reaching the end of our time together. I just have one last question for you about all of the conversation that we've had today. This podcast is mostly geared towards A, CSAPers, such as myself or CSAP alumni, but then also people who are entering into the professional world for their first time. What advice would you have of just main takeaways of when you're moving into a professional environment, how um, to make sure that your mental health doesn't deteriorate because of the, the rapid change? The first thing I would say is to communicate how you feel. You know, it's very easy to dismiss your feelings when something is new and you don't know if they're normal or not. It's very easy to tell yourself everyone is dealing with this and they seem to be getting on with it. So I should be able to deal with it in the same exact way. But the reality is everyone is different. So if you communicate how you feel, whether it's to your colleagues, to your friends, to your family, it doesn't have to be someone at work. It can be anyone that you trust and feel you can confide in. You should get some more insight into maybe having your feelings validated and also knowing what you could potentially do to address those feelings before it becomes something slightly more serious if it's not already. So that would be my first thing is just communicate openly and honestly where you feel comfortable to do so. The second thing I would say is Mm -hmm. in your transition into the work life, try and maintain some time for yourself. There is a culture at the moment of really working extremely hard when you're entering the working world to show that you have a good work ethic and that you're going to get really far in your career if this is the routine you set for yourself. In reality, that's not the case. It's a lot about balancing your life and taking care of yourself so you can be productive. Make sure you're still exercising, make sure you're still seeing friends. If you start to get a bit burnt out, make sure you take some rest and check in with yourself and find out when was the last time I took some time out just for me and try to balance this new thing that you have going on, this change that you have going on in your life. And I guess the final thing I would say is just try to have fun with it. If you're having fun, things are so much easier and it can be just having fun because you get along with your colleagues and because you really enjoy the work that you're doing. It could be having fun because you've got something really fun to look forward to at the weekend with your friends and family. So incorporate something into your life that really means you're having fun regularly and you keep your spirit and your energy up we're all very appreciative of having people like you at cisco that are working towards building that bridge to possible of having a normalized corporate environment where mental health is really on the forefront and is something that people are commonly thinking about on a regular day-to-day basis so thank you for the work that you've been doing thank you thanks for having me on we'll enjoy the rest of your evening afternoon night farewell